Good morning, Orchard. Wow, is the worship just getting better and better in this place? Thank you, guys. That was incredible. Love it. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kathy Gregg, and I'm one of the elders at the Orchard. And this morning, we are going to be talking about prayer. In fact, James has a lot to say about prayer. He tells us, to pray when we're in trouble. He tells us to praise when we're happy. He tells us to ask the elders for prayer when we're sick and that we should pray for each other. That pretty much covers everything, doesn't it? Should I be in the middle? This thing weighs about 100 pounds. Okay. I like you both equally. Thank you, Charlie. Of course, now I won't remember a darn thing I'm saying, but here we go. Anyway, I was going to tell you about a Barna survey that I read recently. I thought it was very interesting. It was saying that the vast majority of Americans have prayed in the last three months. Now, I don't know what that includes or who they prayed to, but it does tell me one thing, that there's something about our human nature that just draws us to prayer. And I think that's really pretty cool. Prayer does not seem to be very controversial, does it? I mean, most people agree that prayer is a good idea. In fact, even my unbelieving friends, when they're in trouble, I'll get a phone call and they'll be asking me to pray. But what if we got a little bit more personal this morning and said, how do you feel about your prayer life? Is it wonderful, or is it kind of like, oh, maybe not so much? What emotions do you feel when I ask you that question? Are you disappointed? Are you bored? Are you distracted? Are you waiting for the next thing to do? What is it that comes up for you? Maybe you're even mad at God. So think about that and tell me. What do you think about prayer? How are you feeling right now? I want to just be honest with you from the beginning. The thing that mattered most to me in my life, the thing I cared about most, didn't happen. I was a widow by the time I was 57. And when my husband was sick, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed some more. But it just didn't work out that way. And I didn't know what to do with that. But you know, I think you come to a point in your life where you just have to say, there's a certain mystery, this side of heaven, that we'll never completely understand. And you have to set that disappointment aside. But I also want to tell you this. I stand before you with so much expectancy when I pray that my God will show up for me. And if I had time this morning, I could share story after story after story about the amazing things that he has done. But this morning, before we even get started, I wondered if we might consider just hitting the reset button and starting over. So if it's okay with you, and some of you are feeling the way I have in the past, I'm going to pray for you right now. Father God, we come before you. 
And we have a lot of different feelings and emotions about prayer. But we want to start over this morning. We want a fresh look, a fresh perspective of what it looks like when we pray to you. We thank you that you are a good God, that you love us, and you've given us a gift of prayer. And so we come before you this morning, and together we hit reset, we hit delete, we start over, and we say, teach us. Teach us how to pray, Father. Thank you. The last few weeks I've been praying for all of you, and one of the things I really felt like I heard God say is, Tell my people that I'm fascinated with them. I am not ever sick of them or tired of them. I want to hear from them. Prayer is really a gift and it's a privilege, isn't it? So not only does God want you to know that he's fascinated with you, he wants you to be fascinated with him. So we're going to look at some things this morning. First of all, I want you to just examine for a moment what your prayer life looks like right now. Is it that time in the morning that you might set aside to spend time with him? That time when maybe you're reading scriptures, uh, playing a worship song, asking him for certain things? That's good. He loves that. Or is it Sunday morning when you come to church? Or might it be what you do before you eat your meal? Well, I'm here this morning to tell you that I'm pretty sure God wants to bless more than your avocado toast. (laughs) In fact, he tells us that he is able to do exceedingly more than we could hope for or think. So it might be time to start praying some big prayers. Another thing, if you are bored with your prayers, he might be bored too. Maybe he's just ready to change up your relationship a little. In fact, would you consider this? Perhaps prayer is less of an event and more of a lifestyle with a moment-by-moment encounter with the living God. So let's start with this. What does it look like when you pray? What actually happens to a prayer? Have you ever thought about that? A few weeks ago, a friend of mine was telling me she saw a TV show on people being healed, and it was really good. So I thought, oh, I want to find that. So I went home, never thought to ask her the name of it, but I turned on TV and I found a show called The Miracle Worker, and I thought, oh, I bet this is it. Well, about two minutes into it, it was very clear this was not the show that she was talking about. This was a a comedy that wasn't very funny about an inept God who had basically lost interest in earth. And he had set aside a room called the Answered Prayer Room. And they would sit there with millions of prayer requests coming in and they had absolutely no idea what to do or how to answer these. And once in a while they'd get together and they tried to manipulate a prayer over here so that they could give a yes but then they'd cause a disaster over here, and it was a big mess. Well, after a few minutes, I turned it off and thought, oh, well, that was a bummer. But I really felt like I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, you know, there's a lot of people who think about prayer like that. They don't see God the way God's word describes him. They do think he's disinterested. They do think he's inept. But I'm going to share with you in the word who your God is and why you might just increase 
praying because it makes a difference. First of all, I want to say to you, you never are praying alone. That sounds like one of those things. You are not alone. When you pray, you have a lot of help, a lot of powerful help. Now, a lot of you have considered what Jesus did on this earth, but maybe you thought less about what is he doing in heaven right now? Well, in God's word, and I think we're going to put this up here, Hebrews 7.25 and then Romans 8.34, it actually tells us that Jesus lives to intercede for us. Isn't that amazing? And that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. That's what Jesus is doing. He is interceding specifically for you right now. So when you pray, you have Jesus as your intercessor. But as if that's not enough, when you become a follower of Jesus, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is interceding for you as well. In fact, the Holy Spirit can take your words that seem so imperfect and he can perfect them and present them to the Father according to his perfect will. So you don't have to feel like your prayers are weak. You have two very powerful prayer partners every time you pray. You have Jesus and Holy Spirit interceding for you. And then who are you praying to? You're not praying to a grumpy father who's too busy to help you. You are praying to a father who's all ears, who loves you, who thinks you're fascinating, who longs to hear from you, and he longs to say yes and amen. So that's really good news. You are destined to have a successful prayer life. So now that you know what prayer looks like, Let's go to the text today, James 5, verse 13 through 18, and find out what we're supposed to pray about. In verse 13, James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. James gets right to it. If you have trouble, pray. That should be your first response. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, that's the only time I ever pray when I'm in trouble. Well, you're off to a good start. That's exactly what he wants you to do. So good for you. In fact, Jesus set the example. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, his spirit was so troubled that he was actually sweating blood. And he went to his father. So when you pray, there's no one who understands you like Jesus. He has modeled for you exactly what you should do when you are troubled. And if you're like me, when you have troubles, you prefer the quick fix. But it doesn't always happen like that. But I can make you a promise based on the word and my experience that the one thing that you can be sure of is that he will give you his peace. If I were going to tell you to memorize any verse in the Bible when you're in trouble, I would recommend that you would 
just get this word in your heart. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. And I'm going to go ahead and read that to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now I'll tell you something. I wasn't able to pray this prayer and immediately get peace and keep peace. Sometimes I had to go to him hour after hour after hour. But he was always there, and he always was willing to give me that peace. And I'd also suggest that on your own, you would continue reading Philippians 4, verse 8, because it tells you what to think about. See, the thing about peace is, once you get it, it really matters what you think about afterward. Because if it's not an event and it's a lifestyle, your prayer and what you think about afterward, that's all part of the prayer, isn't it? So keep your mind in peace. And then the other thing is your words. Your words are so important. So make sure that the words you speak reflect the prayer that you have prayed. So we get the praying and trouble part, right? That's easy. We're all pretty good at that. But James continues on and tells us to praise when we're happy. Because we have a relationship with a living God, we don't just go to him with our troubles. When we're happy, we rejoice with him. Maybe sing him a song, write him a psalm. Tell him how much you appreciate him and how happy you are. Praise is such a vibrant part of the prayer experience. So make sure to include that. And I have good news for you. The Kids Mountain room upstairs, it's going to stay Kids Mountain, but during the week we're actually, in the next few months, transforming that into a prayer room. And it's going to be a place that will have worship music playing all the time. We'll set it up with pillows and cots and chairs and just make it very conducive so that you'll have a set-aside place to go and be able to pray. And one of the things that we wanted to do was to make that room very intergenerational so that the little kids upstairs already are having a deep understanding of praising God and spending time with him. And so that when they come down here, they're going to be very different people, and they're going to be influencing us in our walk with the Lord. Isn't that great? So we'll tell you more about that as time goes on, but looking forward to that. Getting back to um, prayer, another thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, when you pray, remember to watch and wait. I think one of the tendencies that we have is that we pray, and then we give it like 20 minutes And then we're on to Google, right? Well, let me see what Google has to say about this. I've done some serious investigating, and I found out that Google is not the fourth person of the Trinity. (laughs) That's true. So just make sure you follow that. You know, you pray, but then you give it time, because listening is a huge part of prayer. The next thing that James tells us 
is to go to the elders when we're sick. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If you have sinned, they will be forgiven. I'm sorry, I think I forgot the verse before that. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I wanted you to know that the elders of this church would be honored to pray with you. Sometimes when you're sick, you just don't have anything left in you and you just feel like, I can't even pray anymore. I want you guys to know that we are available to you and we want to pray for you. And there's a, tr- a prayer team here that they want to pray for you too. So please let us know and give us that opportunity. We would love to lift you up in prayer. And when it talks about oil, we're kind of like, well, what's that all about? I mean, I know I have some essential oils at home, one for a cough, one for sleeping. That's not the oil we're talking about here. This oil is symbolic of the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's really the power of God that brings healing. But we would love that opportunity to pray for you and anoint you with oil. You know, the verse that talks about the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. That word, well, is actually the word sozo. And that's way beyond physical healing. That is a word that describes body, mind, and spirit. It's total healing. And it's the kind of healing that only Jesus, the physician, can give you. No doctor can give you this kind of healing. So when you are sick, God says, go to the elders and ask them for prayer, and they will pray a prayer and ask that you would be well, you would be sozoed, that everything in you would be made well. So after the service today, and I'll explain more later, uh, we're going to have a couple elders available to be praying for you and anointing you with oil. And if you are sick, be sure to do that. In fact, if you need anything, make sure you ask for prayer. I think the elders will be in that back corner over there, and there'll be a, a prayer team around to pray for you, and they can pray for healing too. But just so you know, this is God's word, and this is God's promise. So take advantage of it and ask us to pray for you because we would want to do that. The next verse, verse 16 It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We recently opened this corner over here. It says hope, and there's bulletin boards there. And on those boards, there's a place that you can put your prayer request. There's a place for answered prayers. If you have a story, a testimony of God's goodness, a miracle, whatever it is, we really, as the Orchard family, want to increase prayer in this church, and we want to give you the tools to do so. So we ask that you would take the time to fill out a prayer request or whatever it might be and put it on those boards, and during the week, there's a team that actually comes in, and we will be praying for you. And uh, toward the end of the service, you're going to find that we have prayer cards on your chair, and um, I'll tell you what to do with that later. We won't get into that now. But um, really excited about the increase in prayer with, with the Hope Room and the Upper Room opening 
and uh, that we're going to see a shift at the orchard and that we're going to see the prayer truly is so important. And then the last part of this verse, 16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. For some of you, this is the reason you're here today. You need to hear this. Some of you have been so beaten up by life and by the enemy that you've started believing that your prayers are not effective and they're not powerful. In fact, they're weak. But God's word says that your prayers are powerful and effective if you're a righteous person. So what does this word righteous mean? Because that's the caveat, right? Well, the word righteous actually means spiritually clean before God or right before God. So some of you are like, oh, well, that explains a lot. No wonder my prayers don't seem powerful or effective. But I have news for you. I'm going to let you in on a truth in God's word. You are righteous. You are spiritually clean. Yes, you. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are righteous. And if you're not sure how you could possibly believe that, maybe you don't realize the enormity of what Jesus did on the cross for you. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Make sure you remember this verse. Maybe we can put it up there. God made him who had no sin, that would be Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's been this exchange On the cross, Jesus did something amazing. He took us in him and gave us his righteousness. So, you are righteous. And if you're righteous, that means your prayers are powerful and effective. Then then James finishes by comparing us to Elijah. Verse 17, Elijah was human, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and produced crops. Elijah is human just like me, How many of you feel like Elijah today? Maybe you feel more like Peter. I mean, he fell asleep when he was supposed to pray, right? But James refers to a specific story in the Bible found in 1 Kings 18, and I wish I had time to read this to you because it's such an epic story. But I'm going to give you a less than cliff note version until you go back and look at this later. And then afterward, we're going to talk about why we might be a little bit more like Elijah than we think. 
So in 1 Kings 18, we find Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, and he's living during a very evil time. In fact, it was so evil that the government was out to kill all the prophets of God. They were also worshiping Baal, Asherah, and all these other idols. Well, Elijah receives a word from the Lord. He's to go to the king and warn him, because of your wickedness, there will be no rain in the land. Then Elijah pretty much goes into hiding because he's the most wanted man. And three and a half years later, he hears from the Lord again. And the Lord says to him, it's about to rain. Go back to King Ahab. So he returns to King Ahab and tells him, there's going to be a showdown. Gather your 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets who sit at Queen Jezebel's table and all the people and gather them and meet me at Mount Carmel. So all the people and all the false prophets gather. All these prophets against one man, Elijah. And Elijah stood in front of the people with this challenge. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. The God who answers with fire, that is the true God. So the showdown begins, and Elijah tells the prophets of Baal to go first. So they get ready with their sacrifice, and they start praying to their God for fire, and they're dancing, and they're yelling, and they're cutting themselves, and nothing's happening, and Elijah begins taunting them. Where's your God? Is he traveling? Is he sleeping? Is he in the bathroom? And he continues mocking them. Finally, they're exhausted, and it's Elijah's turn. Elijah stands before the people, and he prepares his sacrifice. But he makes it much more difficult. He tells the people to cover it with water and more water and more water until it's so saturated that fire could not possibly fall. And then he says a very simple prayer. He said, God, send fire so these people know you are the one true God and they will return to you. And immediately, fire fell. I want you to say that, immediately. The second time, so from there, the people are amazed. They're prostrate on the ground, and they're yelling, the Lord is our God, the Lord is our God. It feels like this big, epic victory. And Elijah turns to King Ahab and says, prepare for heavy rain. I hear the sound. But there was no sound of heavy rain. That was the sound of the heavenlies. 
Elijah continues up the mountain of Mount Carmel, and he brings a servant along, and he's praying for rain. And he puts his head between his knees, and as he's praying, he sends his servant six times to look for a sign. And six times the servant comes back and says, there's nothing. Then Elijah sent him a seventh time. And the servant came back and said, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand in the sky. And Elijah takes his gown, puts, his, puts it in his belt and starts running because he knows heavy rain is on the way. This is a great story. And in this story, Elijah is found praying two times. One time, we see that God answers him immediately. The next prayer, how many times before he saw an answer? Seven, that's right. So there's two kind of prayers. You know, when I think about how Elijah might be a little bit different from us, what I see with Elijah, Elijah is he had great expectation. And I think he had a lot of expectation because he spent time listening to God before this epic event. So I would encourage all of us, listen to God. That will increase your faith. In the story, rain, God answered a prayer immediately, and he answered a prayer after seven times. For me, I'm much more familiar with the second kind of prayer. I'm really good at the first one, but the second one, when it might be seven times, seven days, seven months, seven years or more, those prayers are a little harder. So I want to encourage us this morning. I want to encourage us in those seven-time prayers. I want to ask you a question. Have you checked for clouds lately? Or have you grown discouraged? And when you see that small cloud, is it enough to start running, or do you need more? Maybe you want to know every single detail before you're going to do anything. You know, I'm still a little stunned by the comparison of us to Elijah. But I really don't think that James was speaking in hyperboles. I think he meant it. Elijah prayed to the same God we do, and that's what we need to remember. His prayers were powerful and effective, but so are yours. Maybe what you need is some expectancy. Maybe you need to start looking for those small clouds again. I want to give you an acronym that might make it easier for you to remember. It's PUSH. Pray until something happens. Don't give up. Pray until something happens. Or you see that small cloud in the sky. Wherever you are today, I want you to take an opportunity to do the next thing. If you haven't prayed at all, you didn't even know 
that was a possibility, there's going to be a prayer team. They'll pray for you. They can help you understand this relationship that God wants to have for you. If you've grown discouraged and you're not looking for those clouds anymore, we want to pray for you about that too. If you see a cloud but you're just frozen, unable to move, we'll pray for that too. I want you to see that in, in your chairs you all have a card and it says prayer request on it. And as we end this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is actually take a few minutes, if you will, if you're comfortable with this, we have a prayer team that really wants to pray for you and we'd love for you to write down a prayer request and then during the week we will be praying for you. Or maybe you have a, a story to share that will encourage all of us, but uh, I just want you to spend a few minutes filling out that card and then after that... Um, I'll come back up and we'll take communion together. And as the service is ending and after the service, please feel free to hang around and receive prayer from the elders in the back corner or prayer people around here. And let's just, let's just really take the time to pray. I just want to encourage you that um, you don't want to wait for heavy rain because you might just get stuck in the mud. Now is the time to pray. So just take a few minutes right now, fill out those cards, and then I'll come back and we'll take communion.